0: Thank you so much. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'd love for you to open up with me to Genesis chapter two. Uh, We're going to read verses one through seventeen to get us started this morning as we continue um, a new study called Origin Stories, and no better place to talk about the origin story of all of this than turning to the book of Genesis. So let's go ahead and look in our Bibles, Genesis two verses one through seventeen, and hear a a familiar story uh, about. The creation and, specifically, the creation of people and the place that God made for them. Thus the heavens and the earth, all the host of them, were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, or called it holy, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created and the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain and highlight or underline this and there was no man to till the ground or to keep it. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the, gra- of the ground, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul or a living being. The Lord God planted a garden east in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads: uh, Pishon and Havilah, uh, where there is also gold. The gold of that land is good. Bedlam and, and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, and, and it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Sedekel, and it is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, underlined to tend and to keep it, or to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So we're in a series called Origin Stories, and one origin story that we're pretty familiar with as Americans that I promise is going to tie into this origin story for all of humanity Uh, One origin story that we're familiar with as Americans is how our country was founded and how it was organized around a few amazing ideas uh, through the minds and efforts of some pretty bold and brave individuals. Now, go back with me about 236 years to around this time of year, actually, um, to the year 1780. eighty seven probably not one that you have in your memory bank as an important year there's seventy six there's a couple other major years but uh, what what about seventeen eighty seven is important Well if you google just the number one seven eight seven the first result uh, link Wise and picture-wise, will give you this picture, uh, a picture that you probably all seen before in your history books. Even if you don't know what it refers to or what it's a picture of, you've seen it before, and you think, yeah, yeah, that that looks like something that went on in the early days of America. So you're you're all on the right track if if you're if you're tracking with me there. Uh, a decade after the Declaration of Independence uh, was signed, and a few years after the Revolutionary War was won, uh, believe it or not, the United States was still trying to get off the ground. Um, as in the The government and the structure of the country were not Really much to brag about. Uh, if you if you talk about this in business ter- business terms, uh, the the country was kind of a soft launch. Uh, the first decade or so, eh, it, it's trying, um, uh, you know. Or in, in technological, technological terms, it was in kind of beta mode. Um, it, it was on, it was operating, but it kind of had some bugs and some glitches, and it wasn't really fully fully done. Um, so to to put it put that in context the constitution that that we think is really the backbone of the country it wasn't signed until september of 1787. So that's, again, a decade after the declaration was signed, three or four years after the war was won. So the first few years, it was kind of wide open. There were some fits and starts, trials and errors. For instance, uh, the first president, Washington, was elected in 1789. So there were several years there where there was presidents in each state. Um, there was a president of Congress that was kind of like the vice president is now, but not really as powerful. So it was all very different in those early days. But around May, the beginning of May, 1787, uh, 55 prominent colonists who had become uh, founding fathers, they met in Philadelphia for the Constitutional Convention uh, where they would spend the next four months until September uh, drafting and, and, and you know, writing down and erasing and, and ripping pages out and starting over. They would spend four months drafting the Constitution that would bring some order and set the stage for the country in the long run. And of course, um, they uh, that, that that document continues to govern and, and guide our country uh, to this day. And, and that's what the picture that you see is referencing or is a portrait of uh, those 55 uh, gentlemen gathered in that the hall in Pennsylvania, where they or Philadelphia, where they were drafting uh, the Constitution. So even if you've never heard of this or never studied on this, you probably could name a few people that are in this portrait, um, a few of the the framers that were in this picture. Um, Some of the delegates included Alexander Hamilton, uh, James Madison, and, of course, George Washington is the guy there on the stage, prominently uh, spotlighted. But if you zoomed in to the very center of the picture, uh, you would get a guy who might be the most important one in the room, and that's our buddy Benjamin Franklin. They just don't make men like this anymore in terms of look. Or, or anything else, right? <laughs> they 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 don't make. I mean, he's on the hundred dollar bill, right? So I mean, he's a picture of what all of us should should strive for, especially when it comes to the hair. So we'll, we're. I don't know if I can really pull that off, but some of you could. Some of you should really just really try that, Chris. Uh, I think you you already you're all, you're already halfway there. So, um, <laughs> I think everybody assumes Ben Franklin must be a pretty special guy. I mean, he's on the hundred dollar bill, right? He wasn't president, and all the other presidents are on the lower. Uh, currency. So he must have did something special to get on 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 the the big bill he's a guy who's in a very a lot of historical paintings uh, more maybe than most people Uh, if you look up pictures of the Declaration of Independence he's there if you look up picture or or portraits of the scene if you look up portraits of course of the Constitutional Convention and all the big famous meetings the early early fathers of the country had uh, Ben Franklin is right there in the middle Uh, he's credited for being the the, the chief writer and inscriptor of of all the famous documents that provide the basis for our country's foundation information So I think we can pretty much, we kind of get it. Uh, Mr. Franklin's a pretty instrumental and significant figure in American history. He didn't have to be president to be one of the guys that everybody is taught in school that is a pretty big deal. And not just in, in terms of American history, but world history. Um, so there's, there's a lot of great quotes that Ben Franklin left us with uh, uh, that uh, that really stand out. And, and again, really, I think more than most of the quotes of the founding fathers. Uh, he was asked by a member of the press when he was leaving the convention one day, because they met for days and days, weeks and weeks on end for those four months. He was asked by one of the press while he was walking down the stairs from the convention hall, uh, what kind of government they were seeking to establish, because nobody really knew. I mean, is it going to be a monarchy with with a king? Is it going to be, you know, one of these new fangled democracies? What what are y'all doing in there, and what what is the government going to look like? Is it going to be states all kind of on their own? Is there going to be an overarching government? Nobody really knew, and, and, and people had all sorts of ideas, and they were all trying to get their two cents in. So, As he was walking out of the convention hall, people knew he was the guy that kind of had all the the, the knowledge and all the secrets and all the information. When he was walking out one day, uh, he was asked, hey, what kind of government are you seeking to establish? And he kind of famously, maybe even infamously, because it's kind of ominous, he responded, a republic if you can keep it. A republic if you can keep it. As they were seeking to establish a country rooted in liberty and equality, upheld by duty... And responsibility. A, a republic, or, which is really a democracy that has representatives elected by the people to govern on our behalf, uh, offers and promotes these, uh, this ideal environment for people to enjoy life in, protected by law, people could live freely, uh, yet there was a landscape. The landscape of, of that kind of government required that every member participate in this grand experiment called America and, and take responsibility for the role they uh, that they all play so that's why mr franklin provided that sort of ominous line if you can keep it because upholding the idea and preserving the idea and ensuring its continued success would require intentional commitment to the cause it wouldn't just keep itself if you get the idea now there's another pretty incredible quote that Ben Franklin gives us that I bet none of you have heard of before, unless you just are an expert on the guy. Uh, if you're wondering why he's revered as an important historical figure outside of the American history or the American politics of it all, because you probably have heard of him in more context than that. Um, and I'm sure somewhere in your mind you remember Ben Franklin was an inventor, one of the most famous inventors. If you look up, you know, one of those BuzzFeed lists, you know, most important inventors of all time, he's probably right there near the top, next to uh, the, the the printing press. Uh, Gutenberg and and, and, uh, Leonardo da Vinci he's right there as one of those guys that that is remembered as uh, an inventor that changed the way people lived Based on his inventions, so one of the most famous uh, of his day and, and to ever live, um, he's credited with uh, innovating fireplaces. Uh, the the modern fireplace or the modern wood stove really comes from Benjamin Franklin's um, uh, inventions. Um, he he invented bifocals, which that's a pretty big deal, right? That that he helped people be able to see uh, against what most thought was blindness. Um, he made people realize maybe I'm not blind, maybe I just need really good glasses. Um, probably most famously, though, he's remembered for the lightning rod, right? He took the kite outside. It was storming one evening, and the rest is history. Um, he brought about the the way of conducting and, and harnessing uh, electricity. So, I mean, we, we understand that uh, uh, he was pretty big with the politics of it all, but again, the lightning rod, electricity, uh, hey, that's, that's a pretty big uh, offering to the world, right? Now, Part of the American idea of freedom and and, and responsibility was the inspiration for our free market and and our economy. Now, the bedrock of protecting inventors and and businessmen and women uh, was the American patent system. uh, That if you created something, you could lock in your ability to monetize it and make a living off of it. You probably didn't know this about Benjamin Franklin. He refused to patent any of his inventions. Because he felt so privileged and felt such a unique opportunity in his time uh, that, that he believed that, that allowing his inventions to be copied and, and, and replicated and even uh, perfected by others uh, would, would prol- proliferate uh, the, the, the American dream and the American ideal. Um, so again, the conducting electricity from the research with bifocals and, and, and all the other things that he did, um, he refused to lock it down to where it would only be to his benefit in those closest to him. And that's a pretty incredible thing that he did. And that's probably one of the major reasons we remember him. Um, but but I, I think his vision for America, uh, very much anchored in this free society, but kept by individual responsibility. But also this idea that America was a fertile ground that anybody could build on, upon the foundation and enjoy life. He believed within every one of you, with every one of us, was a creative spark uh, to build and contribute to what's being built. And that's why this other quote of his really stands out. We enjoy great advantages from the inventions of others, and we should be glad of an opportunity to serve others by any invention or any creation of ours. And this we should do willingly and generously. So he believed that, that being able to contribute to society, being able to work and produce something that makes a difference in everybody else's lives or even a few people's lives, that was part of the American ideal. That was part of the dream that is being in a country where you're free, but yes, there's this responsibility and expectation that you contribute to some greater, something greater than just yourself. So let's connect these dots. We live in a country where liberty and equality are promised. Everybody keeps their part of the deal, keeps up responsibly. We live in a country that's always encouraged people finding their passion and following their dreams so that we might see that our contribution is key to preserving not just the American institution, but the ideas and inspiration behind our country. Now, it turns out the model for success and preservation of a nation wasn't original to Benjamin Franklin and other founding fathers, but it can actually be traced back, believe it or not, all the way to the book of Genesis, So we began this new study called Origin Stories where we are looking at Genesis to learn how God wanted to inspire the people of Israel as they were getting off the ground. Uh, He wanted to reveal them the keys to life that were baked into the creation story, the creation of the world. Israel had never heard the story. They were slaves in Egypt. They were coming out of Egypt, and God was giving Moses the story so that they would have their minds and, and, and their horizons broadened. But it wasn't just so they would know what happened it was that they might know why it all happened. Why did God create this world? Why did God make the decisions he made early on? Why did certain things happen and certain things happen uh, within the creation story? And the big reason, and the big reason why Moses was given this to Israel and why God gives this to us, the big correlation that can be life-changing is God's why helps us discover our own why. That God's why, why did God do this? Why did God say this? Why did God give this to us and and say this to us? The, The why that God gives helps you and I discover our own why, our own reason for living. We learned in week one when we asked the question, why did God create this world? We learned that it was an overflow of his own love. It was an overflow of the love in his heart. Uh, The image of God expressed through creation glorifies him, but he delights in doing good for others. So he created this world so he might do just that. So when we stop and realize how we got here, we discover the image of God in the mirror, we recognize the glory of God all around us, our own hearts begin to overflow with a love for him. We find our own why by understanding God's why. Why did God create the world? Because God is love, and the overflow of God's love led to the creation story. So why do we have this life? Why are we given the opportunity to have the breath of life it's so that we might discover the love of God and live out his image? Now, we, we see how delighted and, and at peace he is over us. We see that our own peace is found in him. Our own rest is found in him. He rests knowing that we belong to him, and we can rest knowing that we belong to To him. Uh, We are here in week two, though. We turn the page to Genesis 2, and we discover even more about God's desire to create the world a a world for us to enjoy, a world that was designed perfect to be a home for people like us. Uh, What we discover in many of the principles that we hold fast to as Americans, they came from this very passage, from this very text. That just as Israel adopted these values and principles, our founding fathers looking to replicate the model of ancient Israel, a nation governed by law, a nation that has the good of the people on its mind, a nation that, that believes that God is, is, is the creator and ruler and maker, uh, that we believe that, of course, all that comes from this very passage. But it's way bigger than that. It's way bigger than a country or or any sort of organization. Uh, This is about all of us, about all of you, obtaining and realizing the life that God always intended us to as part of his creation and as citizens in his kingdom. So if you look at Genesis 2, and as we read through it, I I told you to, to highlight specifically two Verses or two parts of two verses. You'll notice there's basically points that, that there's this, these verses specifically point to the purpose that God would give the people when He made them. And there's another verse that outright states what our purpose is. Verse 5, we get this allusion, we get this reference that God was taking care of the fields because there was no man yet. To take care of the field. So God was getting it already, and and we have this verse that tells us God was watering the the land, God was taking care of the land because there was no man yet there to take care of it. There was no man or there was no person yet to keep it. But then in verse 15, we, we get specifically. The Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. So in the very beginning, don't miss this, in the very beginning, God made Adam and God gave Adam a job to do that baked into our design, baked into the image of God, baked into who we are as creatures made in God's image is a purpose that we've been given. Don't miss that. That Adam was placed there. And basically, back in chapter 1, remember, he said, I subdue the earth. That, that means take care of it, rule it, not for your own glory, but for God's glory. So you are a manager in a garden that God has made for you and God has placed you there. Take care of it. Tend to it. Keep it. So essentially, God says to Adam, I've given you a paradise if you can keep it. Now, we know how it goes. He doesn't keep it, right? So now you kind of know what was behind Benjamin Franklin's quote. We're creating a republic if you keep it. Because if you don't keep it, if you don't tend to it, if you don't take care of it, well, I don't know what it's going to be. Don't you see the similarities? Don't don't you see the inspiration behind it? God says, I've given you a paradise, Adam. Adam. If you can keep it. Now the Hebrew word keep in your Bibles, it's, it's all over the Bibles. I, I promise you, Old Testament, it's on most pages that you turn to. It's a Hebrew word, shamar, and, and the Hebrew word is translated keep, take care of, or preserve. So, so don't, it's not, don't think of keep like, oh, I've got to keep this because it's mine. It's take care of it, look after it, preserve it. Now, remember what the reason God, the reason why God is giving this uh, to, to Moses and why re, the reason why Moses is giving it to Israel is so that his generation and all generations that come after them, but specifically the Israel that come, coming out of Egypt, it's so they might understand their why or their what for. Does that make sense? God is trying to say to them, hey, this is your why. This is your what for. We've learned why God created but these verses tell us why we were created and what we were created for. Moses is teaching his generation who are about to inherit a land. God's about to place them in their own land. And maybe not a garden, but it's going to be close to it. God's going to take them and place them in their land that may have, may have fallen from what it originally was. But comparable to where they had been in Egypt, it was a paradise. Think about how the promised land is described when they first begin to hear about it and when they go and see it for themselves. Exodus 3, the promise from Moses is, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. How many times have you heard that? It's all over the the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. We're going to a land flowing with milk and honey, as in we are going to a paradise that God has made for us. And remember how they go and spy out the land? And remember their report in Numbers chapter 13? They told Moses, we came to the land to which you sent us, to which God sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this, as in they had examples, this is the fruit. It was so big they had to carry it over their shoulders across four men. These are the grapes. These are the produce of the valleys of Judea. So Moses is telling them, God has given you this land. You are going to have to do your part. So why is Genesis given to Israel? So they might read the original story. Oh, Adam was given a garden to keep and take care of, but, but, but he didn't do that. God has given us a land flowing with milk and honey to keep and take care of. What will happen if we don't do that? Well, you can read the next page and find out. It's not good. Do you see why Moses has given this to them? Do you see why God has given this to us? Because if it was true for Adam and Eve, if it was true for Israel, if, if, it was, if it's true for a country, it's true for all of us in our everyday life, no matter where we are. Wouldn't you agree? This is more than just, again, a part of a nation or a land this is God's word to every one of us. No matter where we call home, we have a role to play. We have a part to, to a play, to, a role to play in participating in God's kingdom. And we welcome more of his activity and more of his presence through our obedience. And we preserve our lives in his kingdom presence through our faithfulness. Come on. If, you, if, we, if we took this completely politically and we looked at our nation, we would all chime in and say, yeah, other people should be doing their part because that's just how we are, right? We're always saying, well, other people should do their part. But why aren't we as passionate about how we fit into this larger puzzle? Again, not just nationally, but just as people in the creation that God has made. Our obedience to God, our commitment to His plans, it matters, In terms of maintaining the kingdom that he is trying to build. Listen, this world will never be perfect until Jesus returns. But God's kingdom can be realized and lived out on earth as it is in heaven if we can keep it. As in if we work and serve the Lord where he places us with the gifts and the skills and the abilities and the resources that he gives us. Because every one of us have been given a whole number of all of those. This is the number one reason why this story is told like this. So that we might see from the very beginning, from the very onset of humanity, God wired us to be and intends us to be, what's the words? Purpose driven. Purpose driven. Now, you've probably heard those words popularized by Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback, author of a book with the same name, Uh, but but the premise of that book, um, it's very simple. Uh, If you've ever read it before, it's based on the creation story. God made Adam and Eve, before there was sin, before there was the redemption story, there was the gift of and the call to a purpose-driven life. This is why God gave this word to Moses. And so that when Israel entered the promised land, it would not be lost on them, the Opportunity in front of them. And the same goes for all of us. We wake up every single day regardless, and hear this please, regardless of how significant your placement feels, regardless of how spectacular the field you've been placed in seems, regardless how vital the task you have to do appear, God has commanded you. God has called you. Your created reason is that you would step into a purpose-driven life life right before they would enter the land Moses calling back to the Genesis account that he had just told them and just read to them he gave this command Deuteronomy 4 Oh now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you to do them and that you may live, that you may live, as in that you may prosper and live abundantly. Go in and take possession of the land, as in God is placing you into a garden. It is your job to tend it and keep it so that you may live and not die. Do you see these themes, how they so easily connect God has given you a land that you've always dreamed of God has given you a life he says in verse 9 take care keep your soul diligently there's that word again keep take care of your soul so this is bigger than a country right this is bigger than hey where I'm at and what time I'm living in your soul Take care of your soul because you are given this life from God and your soul is is, is full of an opportunity from God. Take care lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Live to the fullest. Preserve this opportunity. You know, I feel like a lot of times we hear this idea that, that every day matters and serving God matters and we push back a little bit for different reasons. But sometimes it's almost like, well, you know, God is trying to infringe in the areas that I'm not comfortable with him and, you know, entering into. Uh, At the same time, we get down and discouraged when we feel like our lives a little bit less than we wished it would be. We're looking for a grand reason to live and and yet we still push God away and, and we wonder why we have those doubts or have those discouraging thoughts. Clearly, clearly this is the pathway for us to redeem and maximize each day for our own fulfillment and for God's glory. I think we push back on involving and revolving everything we do with our faith because we feel like that brings some level of restrictions on us when it really is only going to guide us and and prosper us and, and, and bring purity and peace. You know, if you look at these verses, I think everybody's eyes, if you look at the verses that follow 15, 16, and 17, everybody's eyes automatically go to the commandment in verse 17 that you shall not eat of the one specific tree. And we we always zoom in on that. God is trying to keep something from us. But you know that's so unfortunate, our fixation being on the restriction. Oh, God is trying to say we shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. We miss that he is giving us and blessing us and enabling us to what he's enabling us to do. And we miss the evil he's protecting us from and we missed it in verse 16 he says of every tree in the garden you may freely eat isn't it weird how our minds fix it on verse 17 but verse 16 literally says i've given you an entire garden minus one of trees and plants to enjoy and freely take from by serving me you will enjoy all this if you work and you keep it part of keeping it means you know your boundaries you know that I've placed you in a place that is good for you and I've kept this one thing from you. But, but boundaries in terms of the goals that we set, boundaries in what decisions we make, boundaries are good. Moral boundaries. So that nothing might work its way between us and the paradise God has placed us in. Part of keeping it is understanding that God has all of the stuff that he wants to give us. And yet of this one thing he says, hey, don't, don't mess with. But it's good for us. I think it's obvious, but this is more than just about our jobs that you clock into. This is about your relationships, your marriages, your homes, your church involvement. Anything that's of value to you, God has given you, it takes work to keep it and preserve it. But that's part of this purpose-driven life. Keeping our eyes on the Lord, His commandments in our hearts, and His motives on our minds. That's why God would ever say to you about anything, hey, you shouldn't do that, because God wants to give you life and life abundantly. Deuteronomy 30. Moses says, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord, your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments. So what is the stipulation? I have given you life and good if you love and walk and keep the Lord's way. And then Moses puts it even more you know more powerfully I have called heaven and earth to witness against you today I have said before you life and death blessing and cursing choose life that you and your offspring may live I have put you in the garden to work and keep it so that you may always have it now we know what happens next in the story don't we Adam and Eve don't choose life They don't choose good. Let's read how that goes, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent of the field was more cunning than any beast which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? But the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat, you shall not touch, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you, eat of the, that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like him, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she gave it to her husband with her also. And he ate it. Then both of their eyes were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves naked. Coverings because they were ashamed suddenly. So, in an instant, paradise was lost because they didn't keep it. You see how it all worked out? Rather than serving God with the bounds He gave them, with a thousand blessings and opportunities, they got hung up on the one thing He said to avoid. And that sent ripple effects throughout all of history. Their, think about the damage, the division. Think about how they themselves turned on each other, blaming each other within moments. And that's how it always goes. And that's how our brains work, isn't it? We will forfeit so much that God wants to do in our lives because one thing trips us up. Marriages are broken because one thing causes people to look away. Households divide because one thing sends people to their own corners and makes people hostile towards each other. Churches divide. Nations halt progress because one thing makes us wage war against each other instead of working together. It all comes back to this thing in us that doubts whether God can be trusted, whether his will is really good, that undermines and derails the purpose-driven life he's given us. It happens so easily, doesn't it? I want to give you two things before As we leave, two things to leave with today that are inspired by and meant to be instilled in us from this story that simply recounts the day when God made people, gave them his best, and yet they walked away from it. He gave them a simple command. Keep it. Take care of it. Value it. Preserve it because it is the most important thing. The purpose you've been given from God, the place you've been placed by, put by God, don't throw it away. Don't walk away from it. There's two words that summarize the why that God puts to, that wants to put within all of us, the motivation and ambition he wills that all of us take on that will help guard us from losing and forfeiting the blessings he has for us. And the two words I want to leave with you are responsibility and productivity. We were all created. We were all created to be responsible and to be Productive. The call to responsibility and and expectation of productivity is not a byproduct of the fall. This is before the fall, before sin. These were part of God's plan before man fell away. So that the world might stay as close to him as possible. Beware, there is in all of us, there is in all of us something that naturally rejects the blessing of responsibility and the opportunity that God has given us to be productive for him. I know these words are not really trendy or necessarily cool and they might be a little sterile, but I hope they get the point across. God has made us to be responsible. He has given us responsibilities to nurture and tend to from our homes, our relationships, our jobs, our opportunities, our callings. If we fail to uphold our God-given responsibilities, we forfeit our purpose-driven life. I don't know if this reading is reading too much into it or not, but I I think this is a greater message than all of Scripture. But we think about Adam and Eve in the garden, and a lot of us, we we imagine them just kind of standing around with nothing to do. Oh, it kind of must have been kind of boring. I mean, they were just, in Genesis 3, they're just standing around. They're not doing anything it wasn't because they didn't have something to do God clearly explained the the, the awesome place he put them in and all the different parts of it from from the vegetation to the rivers and all the things in between God gave them a place to take care of a place to build up and to develop and grow for his glory and yet we find them in Genesis 3 just standing around doing nothing they were just idly standing by And isn't that where all of us stumble? Isn't that where all of us are tempted? We begin to buy into the enemy's negativity and discouragement and and, and lies. We were not just made to be responsible. We're made to be productive, to be creative, take initiative, to leverage our lives for God's glory. I'm not saying being busy for the sake of busyness. I mean, set your heart and your mind on the task that God has given for you or seek out a way to develop and create in a way that would honor him with the time and the resources he's given you. It's like Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whether you, this is not just to the person that won't work. This is, the per, this is to the person that doesn't, that doesn't have to work. This is to the person that has everything they could ever need. And God is saying, hey, if that's keeping you from being productive, get rid of it so that you might have something to serve God because your greater inheritance is way much more important than whatever you're reveling in on this life. Hello? Right, the American dream is to have everything you need and never have to work again. That's not biblical. The biblical dream is that we would serve the Lord and leverage our lives for his glory because that's where eternity is on the line. Let me clue you in a little something. Because listen, the the richest people in the world, the most powerful people in the world that don't have to do anything, they are also some of the most emptiest people in the world. You know why? Because not only does our productivity honor God, but productivity is our source of dignity. As in, we feel less than when we become idle, we feel less than when we are not productive. Now listen, everybody's situation is different. Some of you work so much you don't even have time to consider why you're doing it because you work from sunup to sundown because you have to. Some of you can't do all that you wish you could do because of your health or because of restrictions or inhibitions. Some of you have more time than you know what to do with. I think I hit everybody there, didn't I? (laughs) You work 24 hours a day, it seems like. You wish you could work, but you can't or you don't have to do anything. I'm saying is that we need to seek out the Lord who gives us 215 as our baseline. I have placed you in a garden. Tend it and keep it. Because if you don't keep it, you'll lose it. This is our why. This is our what for. This is a baseline for every person that's ever been given life on this planet. Regardless of our circumstances. No matter what, God has called us into and is leading us into a purpose-driven life that will honor him. Go to God and ask him to clarify your responsibilities. If there's any question, ask him to give you responsibilities that you can manage in your current field or that you would step into a new field that you could show him and that he would show you you, where you should step. Ask him how you might be productive for him, for ways that glorifies him, within the bounds he's put you in. The Bible is clear over and over. This is how all of us will ultimately be judged one day. How we will fulfill, how we fulfilled our why. How did we work and keep the garden and put us in a garden where God put us? How did we work in the garden that God allowed us to inherit? I don't know your story. You might have planted the garden yourself, but God gave you the ability to do it. You might have been placed into someone else's garden that you didn't even ask for, but God's put you there. You might be working in a garden that you just have to work in because it's the only one that pays your bills. I don't know how you got to the garden you're in. I don't know how you got to the field you're in. I don't know what tools you are in your hands, whether you, got, whether you had to learn how to use them were gifted with the ability to use them or you're begrudgingly using them. I don't know how you got where you are. But here's what I know. Your dignity is on the line and your eternity is on the line because what you've been given to do is so tied to your creative purpose. And you will never be at peace if you don't follow this purpose-driven life that God has put before you. The final parable that Jesus ever told. The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to him his property. To one he gave five talents, another two, another one, each according to his ability. So God knows what your restrictions are. God knows what your strengths and your weaknesses are. God knows what he's doing. And if you don't know what God's doing, then go to him and ask, hey, what are you doing? I'm sure he'll help you figure it out. Each according to his ability, to his situation. And then the master went away for a long time. And after a long time, he came back. And he settled accounts with them. And you know what the baseline of a judgment is? I put you in a garden. did you tend to it and did you keep it? That's the the basis for Christianity. That's the basis for our, our, our lives. Did you keep it? Now, we should strive to be like the disciples in the book of Acts. When they heard of a need and they were expected to respond, it says they determined according to their own ability how they might contribute. So again, everybody's field is different. Everybody's work is different. Everybody's callings are different. From parenting to being a part of some great company to doing something that's completely out of passion and and, and just for the glory of God that doesn't profit at all. I don't know where God's leading you. I don't know what God is calling you to do. But I do know this. God has given every one of us this responsibility. And our productivity honors him. I don't know what gifts, opportunities, abilities you were created with, but I know that you were created to be responsible and productive with all these things. Why did God make any of us? Why did God make you and me? Why did God make Adam and Eve? So that we might receive from him a garden to work in and keep. Do you see how that fits together? That you might receive from him a little spot of this earth and your responsibility is to work it and keep it. Your relationships, your, your, your skills and resources and abilities, it's, it runs the gamut from what's going on in your heart to what's going on for the work of your hands. Our relationships, our homes, our jobs, our memberships, our citizenships, all of these things reflect the gift of God. And in all of those fields, we are called to work and keep. We are called to be responsible and productive because in all of those things, we have been given entry into a purpose-driven life. And if we work and if we keep that purpose-driven life as God leads us and guides us, every day can be another day in paradise. It could have always been that way for Adam and Eve, but they didn't keep it. Thanks to God's redeeming work in Christ, we have been given the opportunity to see the kingdom of God realized the best it can on this earth. We've been given an opportunity to step into our own version of paradise every single day if we work and if we keep it. If we don't work and we don't keep our purpose driven life, then you know what? We know what happens. So let me ask you Are you aware of the purpose driven life that God has called you into? Are you aware of it? And if you aren't aware of it, look in your heart. Look around you to the people that God's put around you, from family to friends to opportunities to church to the world around you, every one of us. If we want this bad enough, and some of us, we don't have to look far because it's all around us, right? From kids to family to, to, to work. I mean, it, we're, we're suffocated by all the purposes. And, and if we allow those things to become negative, we'll lose the joy of them. But they're not a suffocation. They're not a negative thing. They're a blessing. For some of you, you might have to look harder. For some of you, you, you might have to pray harder. But, but I don't think it's that far away from any of us. Are you aware of the purpose-driven life that God has called you into? Look around, look within. Are you being responsible and productive in all the areas and fields and the bounds that God has placed you in? Are you honoring Him and glorifying Him as you seek out to live for His best and for His glory and do good to those around you? Yes, there's so much that works against us and frustrates us, but by God's mandate and the redeeming work of Jesus, we know without a doubt this, this is why we were made. And this is what we're called to live for. And this is what we'll be judged by one day. The question is have we set our faith and affection on the purpose driven life that goes way, way back to the very beginning? I have given you a garden. Can you keep it? Will you keep it? And in that garden, in that field, in that little patch of this earth, you have been given a purpose. Be driven by it. Be determined within it. And don't take your eyes off of the Lord God who made you and gave you this life and live every single day knowing why was I created? with a purpose from God, with responsibility and with the ability to be productive for him, to love, to serve, and to pour myself out for his kingdom and everything that matters to it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a simple message that it's so grounded in the very origin story of our, of our species, of our race. But God, it's so easy to get lost, to lose sight of this. It's so easy to get distracted from this. It's so easy to get down and discouraged as if we don't have a purpose. It's so easy to wonder if we're in the right place, doing the right thing. And Satan will give us so many alternatives. And Satan has broken up so many people's lives because he tried to discourage them from the purpose that was right in front of them. Lord, every one of us was created to be responsible, created to be productive in the field that God has placed us in, to seek out a new field to serve him in. Every one of us has been given this purpose, this life that can honor you. Lord, I pray that all of us would ask you, Lord, in search of hearts, are we, are we serving God? Are we keeping the garden that he placed us in and put us and gave it to us? And Lord, if there's somebody here that because of their own disabilities, their own place in life that's just not where they wish it would have been or wish they would be, yet out of the desire of their heart, they're, they're looking for that, that, that reason. They're looking for that motivation. Lord, would you show them or whether it's the loved one that they don't even think about that's always there beside them, or whether it's an opportunity right in front of them, would you show them? And Lord, would you encourage that husband, that wife, that parent that often gets down, that that often gets discouraged when things are a little bit less glamorous? Would you encourage that one that's retired, that one that's uh, aging, Lord? All of us at different seasons of life, we need that reminder that our lives are a gift from God and a purpose is with us if we will just seek it out every single day. We've been given a paradise, if we can keep it. Give us the faith, the trust in your plans, to follow you every day in the field you've put us in. We ask this in Jesus' name.